live edition of Weigh In Sports Talk. I'm your host, Brian Tarvin, and as like always, joined by the one and only Trey Patterson tonight, and we're coming at you live. One of our favorite shows of the week is Sunday, and it's, it's because of we get to go over all the excitement that happened over the weekend in college football, NFL, and now even the World Series. And Trey, uh, welcome to the show. Hope all is well. Hey, man. How's it going? Oh, good, good. Well, the pitcher to the national championships uh, a little more cluttered now. I mean, I thought we'd start clearing it out, Trey, but, you know, looking at the BCS, it really looks like there's three teams and the rest of them really are playing for other BCS bowls. What's your thoughts on the BCS rankings that just came out and uh, the, the winners and losers? Well, I mean, it's like you and I talked about last week. We said you know, exactly what was going to happen happened, and, you know, I, I, shouldn't be a surprise to, to much of anybody about the way the BCS broke out this week and you know, Oregon being the number two team, Tarvin. I mean, it's exactly what I thought was going to happen. Um, but I think, you know, you talked about the national championship picture. And I, I think it did clear it up. I mean, we got rid of, I think, two posers, and that you and I both thought um, that it was going to happen, which is Missouri went down and Texas Tech. So, I mean, we really got rid of two uh, fringe teams. I mean, Missouri was ranked as high as fifth. Um, so they were a clear national championship contender because, you know, Missouri goes unbeaten. They had beaten Alabama in the national, excuse me, in the SEC championship game. Well, then they would have been in the national championship game. That's just the way it is. And that SEC undefeated goes there. Um, so with them out, Carvin, that gives us, you know, three right now front, you know, front running horses. Um, but, you know, Ohio State is still sort of watching, waiting. Well, Trey, a one loss Stanford team with a win over Oregon and the, to win out even in the Pac-12 championship game, could sneak into that, that national championship game, I think, over an undefeated Ohio State team. But, Trey, your, your scenario, let me give you this. What, which one-loss teams do you think right now could possibly win a national championship if they won out? So if, if Auburn's a one-loss team, just say they miraculously won all of their games, would they leapfrog? do you think a team to be able to get in there because they're from the SEC? Yeah, I think, you know, oddly enough, I think the, you're talking about one-loss teams uh, in the SEC. To me, it's Auburn and Missouri. And you know, think, well, I just said Missouri's a poser, and I still think they are, but if you, if you have them on the table uh, and defeat a um, you know an Alabama in the SEC championship game and, and, the, and there aren't, um, the teams above them, Tarvin, I think they get in. And the same can be said for Auburn. If Auburn uh, defeats Alabama um, at the end of the year in the Iron Bowl and they go to the SEC championship game, then they uh, defeat whoever it is from the East. And, you know, again, uh, people lose in front of them. And, and really when I say people, I mean the undefeated. Then they jump all the way to the top. I and mean, that's just what it is, Tarvin. I mean, and a one-loss SEC team, Love it, hate it, you know, want to get rid of it. It does not matter. The SEC is still the king of all conferences. And if it comes down to a one-loss team getting in, it's going to be from the SEC. Yeah, I think two two teams have chance, or two conferences, the Pac-12 right now and the SEC. But this can be the year it just looks like to me. And it's just guessing from what I can see with the schedules. I, I don't think a one-loss team is going to be able to get in this year, I think. You have to keep winning. I just see Alabama, Oregon, and Florida State. They're, they're all three very strong, you know, teams. Nobody's going to jump in. Trey, I just don't see them losing. I mean, the drama 
you know, we'll, we'll talk about that later of, of the BCS. All of the other ones really don't matter. Everybody else is just, it gives us conversation to people like us, you know, talking sports. But any surprises in the BCS that you look at, Northern Illinois right now is up to number 17, Fresno State 16. After Northern Illinois' performance in the bowl game last year in the Orange Bowl, do they get another shot? Yeah, I mean, if they go undefeated, they may get into the BCS. I mean, them and Fresno are, are your BCS busters to keep a watch out for, and it's possible they both get in. Uh, you know, Northern Illinois and Jordan Lance, at least they have a very good quarterback. Uh, you know, Carr for Fresno State. Do either one of those teams actually do anything in the BCS, Tarvin? No. Uh, this is not the Utah that beat Alabama. This is not the Boise State team, you know, coached by a fantastic coach when they, you know, whooped up on Oklahoma and gave us what it would, what I would say is the greatest college football game of all time. These aren't those teams. I mean, Fresno and, and you know, Northern Illinois are just not that talented to go into the BCS. I mean, can they get there? Sure. Can they win it? Uh, I look at last year what happened to Northern Illinois and think that would happen again. Well, Trey, in a few minutes, we're going to bring in AP voter and Heisman Trophy voter, John Johnston. He's going to join us in probably about 15 or 20 minutes, somewhere around there. So so we're going to put the BCS talk on hold until he comes back and it kind of goes over his rankings. But, Trey, it was a crazy day in the NFL today. I mean, some of the games, especially, we're going to go through the list. But looking at the games not on your list today, the Atlanta Falcons, Trey, I mean, there's no – there's no mistake in these guys don't know how to play football anymore. Last year they were beneficial getting some close games to go their way. This year they can't win them. Arizona takes care of them 27-13. Trey, I don't see this offense getting much better now with Julio out. I think they're a sinking ship. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how much I regret picking them as a preseason favorite. I mean, I can't, I just, the deconstruction of the Atlanta Falcons, I mean, sure, you can look at you know, injuries to Roddy White and Julio Jones, but I mean, where's where's UCU Menorah been? Where has been you know, Stephen Jackson's been hurt? But I mean, just this, this this offense has been anemic since even when they were all healthy in Week One. It just I, I can't figure it out, Tarvin. I don't know what they did to change up that momentum they had last year. Maybe defenses had a year to prepare for it, and maybe that's what we're seeing is the lack of. Um, changes on the offense from the Atlanta Falcons being able to adjust, but they're pretty terrible right now, and they're, they're, they're out of the playoffs for sure. Yeah, the Atlanta Falcons have to worry about next week going on the road to Carolina, trade. That's not going to be easy. Atlanta's done. I, I just wonder what, what point of the season are they going to look at it to realize they're done. There's no coming back from this hole, not with the New Orleans Saints playing the way they are, and the Carolina Panthers, Trey, finally can play defense, and Cam's starting to hit a stride. I don't know where they go from here. They're talking about building a new stadium, or they are building a new stadium for Atlanta. And my thoughts are, well, Stray, why are you going to increase taxes and make us pay for this when Atlanta can't even win a Super Bowl? They can't even make the Super Bowl anymore. So the Falcons, a very disappointing team this year. Speaking of disappointing teams, Stray, Jacksonville today, they go to London and they get beat 42-10. to 10. Have you ever seen an NFL team this worse, this bad? Well, I mean, this is certainly um, a bad team. Um, I would just say, um, you know, I put in the tower um, Paul, uh, who, who seemed to tell us that, that Jacksonville was going on the road, and they're going to, or at home, I should say, in London, they were going to shock the world, um, Paul. Yeah. But, um, 
we're worried about you, man. Put the, put the you know put the socks down over your neck. You know you can calm down. We're not going to call you out that much. But uh, that was a bold prediction, man. I'm not going to give him too much grief about picking it. But oh man, that was bad. Well, it wasn't even bold. That was ridiculous, Paul. But he did take the Gophers over the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I'll give him that. And, Trey, looking at the games you picked for us, the first one, you know, you put on the list was controversial. Uh, Joshua Shaw came on wondering why everybody was picking Oakland to beat Pittsburgh. There's no way they could beat Pittsburgh. What did they do? They almost choked away a big lead. They were up 21-3 a half, and all of a sudden Pittsburgh came back to make a 21-18. Trey, anything jump out, stand out to you in this game? It went about the way I thought it would. I didn't expect them to get up to a big lead, but I expected the Raiders to win by field goal. Well, I mean, I think what you have to mention in this game is the fact that Terrell Pryor set the uh, NFL's uh, rushing record for a quarterback. He broke a 93-yard run in the first quarter. It's the longest uh, run in the history of the NFL by a quarterback. I mean, Tarvin, I mean, that's that's a lot of quarterbacks who have had a lot of scrambling ability who did not break a 93-yard touchdown run. So that's pretty incredible, man. I, I was surprised to see that, you know, Michael Vick hadn't broken 99 yards or old Randall Cunningham or somebody, but so, Terrell Pryor, what a big day. Well, when I look at Pryor, when I watch him play today, Trey, I see some great things like the touchdown run, but I also see him holding the ball too long, uh, trying to – he waits before he actually runs when he could take off running a second earlier. I don't know if he has what it takes to actually be a consistent quarterback for Oakland to get him to the playoffs, but – at times he looks great, Trey. I mean, Oakland must have known what they were knew what they were doing when they when they got him in the supplemental draft. But I'm not shocked about this game. I know people were picking Pittsburgh, thinking we were crazy, but the majority of people in our group picked Oakland in this game, which surprised me a little bit. But other than that, nothing stood out to me in that game. But the number four games tomorrow night, the Patriots, Trey, against the Dolphins, they were down a couple of touchdowns in this game, and all of a sudden Tom Brady takes over. Are you disappointed that the Miami Dolphins choked and, and blew that big lead? Well, I think the Dolphins and their fans should be, I mean, being at 14 to nothing, they had a really good offensive game plan to come out, and then they really just blew the game. I, I, I don't know what to say, Tarvin. Their, their offensive game plan just changed, it seemed. Uh, the Patriots really sort of adjusted. I don't know if that was the case. And then, of course, Tom Brady um, had a really good second half, but I mean, the only way you can really talk about this when you're talking about the fish is, is they really blew this game. Um, the Dolphins up 14 to nothing to lose the way they did, uh, and really to make it not even a close game by you know games end, Tarvin. Um, you know, the Dolphins four losses in a row, I believe, so three and four, and they're not looking good. Yeah, the next game on the list, 49 to nine, Bengals over the Jets. Trey, that shocked me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I was incredibly shocked. I, I could not believe. I went outside with uh, with my kid for over an hour, and I came back in, and I saw 35-7, to 7, and I was like, what just happened? I'm like, <laughs> this game just started. Uh, if you didn't have Marvin Jones in your league, and I'll tell you, Tarvin, I did in one of my leagues. I had Marvin Jones, and uh, I got a text from one of the opposing owners, and he just said, who the F is Marvin Jones? And I said, he's the guy who scored four touchdowns on you, buddy. That's who he is. So, Marvin Jones, if you were digging deep in your fantasy roster and you started him today, boy, did you get paid off very handsomely. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have him either. and But I, I expected Cincinnati to, to take control of this game to win a close game. I didn't think it would be anything like this. But is Cincinnati finally, Trey, 
are they are they finally the team that we thought they would be in the preseason or, or that I thought they'd be very probably the most talented team in the NFL yeah. from top to bottom, winning by 40 points against a Jets team that showed that they're a possible playoff team this year. They just got through beating New England. And, say, I mean, is this a statement game for Cincinnati? Yeah, I, I think they're, they, they've been putting some really good football down uh, on the field every week, and, and they haven't really been noticed. Maybe this is what was going to get them noticed, but – I mean, six and two now. They're 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 really playing f- football very well right now. What you have to like is the fact that Andy Dalton seems to have developed some more weapons. And you know, Marvin Jones today showed that he can be one of those games. You know, I mean, AJ Green is just a hundred yards every single night that he gets on the football field. And you know, with Bernard being such a sort of breath of fresh fresh air for them as well. I mean, this team has gotten some weapons, and that defense is playing pretty well. They really. It really frustrated Juno Smith pretty much constantly. I mean, he was out of the game by almost the start of the fourth quarter because of the score and how poorly he was playing. Yeah, and Trey, the, looking at the number one game, you picked it right. It didn't disappoint. The game of the day, Detroit Lions against the Cowboys. Detroit was down. to They finally got the ball back, Trey, with a minute left. Tell us how the Detroit Lions came back and went the distance of the field, 80 yards in a minute, to score a touchdown and win the game against Dallas. I mean, I'm still shocked by that. Well, I want to back up to you before that drive, and it was the drive prior to that when Dallas had a first down, and they, they first they ran a draw, which was fine, and he got like negative three yards. And they backed it up by running the exact same play to the other side of the field, another draw, lost even more yards. And I thought to myself, was like there was like two minutes left in the game, or even more than two minutes in Detroit. And I just I couldn't figure out why uh, Dallas was basically um, basically giving up. They were not aggressive, and that, that was sort of the the mantra they had, Tarvin, in the last five minutes of the game. They had plenty of opportunity to run their offense. You know, Romo was looking very good in the second half. Why don't they put the ball in his hands instead of? You know, a shaky line that wasn't really doing very good in, in run blocking, and they ran really obvious running plays. I mean, line up in the pass, what do you think they're going to do? It's a draw. I mean, it was just so obvious, Tarvin, that, you know, again, this is where a lot of people have had that frustration with the play calling for Dallas, and this is where Jason Garrett gets his name thrown out as YC head coaching because this is a game that I think was lost because of the coaching. And you look at the stats. 623 yards for Detroit, 268 for Dallas, 28 first downs for 29 first downs for Detroit, 13 for Dallas. I mean, this is a game. It should have been a 30-point blowout by Detroit, but the turnovers of Stafford kept Dallas in the game. And you know, another entertaining thing is you saw Des Bryant on the sideline trade uh, being a diva, yelling at his teammates. He almost. He barked up the wrong tree when he went after Witten. Uh, Witten was, I thought Witten was going to knock him out, honestly. Tell us what, what Des Bryant is doing on the sidelines, being a distraction he is. Well, I think what happened with Tarvin is Des Bryant was playing Calvin Johnson in fantasy football, and, you know, he was just getting destroyed. I mean, Calvin Johnson, 300 yards receiving. Des Bryant was just mad that he was going to lose in fantasy football and real football. No, I'm just – but, man, here, here's what I think. I think that Des Bryant was, was getting that – I think – the whole thing leading up to this this game was getting to him when he saw what Calvin Johnson was doing, and this became a Des Bryant versus Calvin Johnson affair. I think he got frustrated because he wanted the ball more, and you know they were spreading the ball around the field. Dallas was, and I think that's what really led to it. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else would have led to that, Harvin, because I mean Dallas's offense was doing okay in the second half. 
Yeah, but ah, what a game. I mean, I look at this game as a defining game for both teams. I think Detroit, if they would have lost that game heading into a bye week, it could have been devastating for them, to, I mean, even though they have a winning record. But Dallas, Trey, I think this hurts Dallas. And, and where do they go from here? I mean, what does Garrett have to do to get that team back? It just seems to me that that, that team has no authority any leadership on it. Tony Romo is a great quarterback, don't get me wrong, but he just doesn't seem like a leader to me. Who's going to step up and be the leader of this team? Because that's the only way they're going to be able to, to win football games. This is a Super Bowl talented team. This team has enough talent, Trey, to make a Super Bowl. I mean, when are they going to start playing like it? Yeah, I mean, and this was a big loss for them, Tarver, because, you know, like we talked about, in the NFL, you have to be really good at home and they really go 500 on the road, and this this one would or this win would have given given them that two and two on the road to start the season out. They'd have been five and three, uh, and looking really good to control the NFC East. I mean, Dallas still a game up on you know the three and five Philadelphia, and two games up on the two and five Washington. So, you know, I mean, this is not a good division right now. And Dallas being at five and three would have really been in a complete driver's seat. You know, now mm-hmm. this division is still up for grabs, so it's going to be really a refocusing. Now, how they do it, Tarvin, I think it has to be defense. They have to get that defense playing well. I mean, the talented, the talent on the on this, the secondary, Tarvin, is just ridiculous, and they're not playing very well, and so they have to sort of realize that talent. And, and you know, looking at Dallas and the Giants are starting to, to win some football games. They've won two in a row. What's the chances of them getting hot? you know, catching some breaks. You know how the Giants do in the second half and, and winning this division and making the playoffs with a losing record possibly. I mean, it could happen. Yeah, I mean, it looks like this division might be that, that, that year. Um, you know, the Giants have won. Well, they're 2-6 and six now. I mean, this, this division is just a complete disarray. So this is going to be a week-by-week. Week. It's going to be entertaining because there are going to be a lot of close games coming out of this division, but unfortunately not the best football well, Trey, Denver, 7-7 uh, seven to seven at halftime with the, the Redskins, and Washington jumped out to a 21-7 to seven lead late into the third quarter. And then all of a sudden, Denver woke up and won 45-21. What in the world happened to Denver to go on a 38 to nothing run, really in a quarter, maybe a quarter and a quarter, you know? Uh, what a 38 points in a span of probably 18 minutes. Yeah, I mean, RG3 turned the ball over, I think, three times uh, in the fourth quarter. He didn't look good. And it wasn't necessarily all of him. The offensive line really broke down. They were giving up some sort of free moments for the defensive guys to hit RG3. And eventually is what you know, led to Kirk Cousins being put in the game and RG3 got knocked out. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, you can put it on RG3 for the turnovers, Tarvin. But I was watching that line. They were playing a lot of Ole offensive line. Yeah, uh, I'll look at it. RG3, the the line on this game surprised me a little bit. I thought it was low. It was 11. And I thought, well, why would why would Denver only be favored 11 points at home against Washington? Well, when they were 21-7, to 7, Trey, I was thinking, wow, if you're a betting man and bet on Denver, you're very disappointed. Then all of a sudden, the way they played. How, how much of that first half, maybe the first three quarters, was a hangover from losing to Indianapolis from the prior week? Well, I think I think a good amount of it, and I think also that you know the factor that RG three was is a little bit you know so much different than facing um, you know Andrew Luck and just that of course that Colts defense has gotten so physical. I think there was a little bit of 
uh, obviously hangover, but also probably a little bit of soreness. Those guys were getting beat up up and down that field against the Colts. Uh, and the Redskins, of course, has broke down in the fourth quarter. I think eventually the talent for Denver uh, and just the tenacity of Peyton Manning. I mean, he was really locked in for some of the game there in the second half before he threw some of those picks. But, yeah, I mean, Denver still looked good. Tarvin still looked good. It looked very good in the game going on right now. Green Bay's up 10-7 to on Minnesota. Mm, yeah, looks like Minnesota scored early. What's the chances of Brett Favre coming back? playing in the NFL. Somebody said the Vikings gave him a call and doesn't know if he was interested in coming back to the NFL. How old is he, 60 by now? Well, it was the Rams who actually gave him the call. I don't think there's any chance he comes back, but uh, it's funny. We're, we're sitting here with Brett Favre's, what, 44, 45? I don't know how old he is, but we're already talking about Brett Favre <laughs> coming back because the Rams gave him a call, but I don't think it's going to happen, Tarvin, so no, no more Brett Favre. He's going to stay retired. Well, tonight, uh, special guest John Johnson is going to be joining us, and, and Trey John's an AP voter. I'm excited to hear, you know, how he ranks his team, why he ranks here, get his rankings, actually. And also, Trey, want to get his opinion on who's going to win the Heisman this year. I have Winston at number one in my polls. I'm just interested to see where he has him. Who do you have as, as number one? Well, I think Winston is a, is a one tie. I still have Menzel sort of neck and neck with them. I know Menzel has lost a couple of games. But for me, the numbers he's putting up are just PlayStation-type numbers. Uh, and certainly, mm-hmm. I think if I think for me, I think Winston has to go undefeated to win it over Menzel just because of that, unless Menzel lost a couple more games. But, I mean, right now I think Winston has the shot to keep winning and, and win it. But, um, you know, Menzel with just that high from last year and all the, the sort of the numbers he's putting up, Tarvin, it's hard to sort of delineate the two of them right now to me. Yeah, so, so you think Menzel still has a, a shot with two losses, huh? Yeah, I really do. I think I think he really does just because of the numbers and because I think he has backing in, you know, he's going he's gonna to be there uh, just because of the numbers he's putting up. I think each loss makes it tougher. But, I mean, you look at it, Tarvin, I think a one-loss Florida State and Winston, you know, that equates to two losses in the SEC. So, uh, I think Winston has to go undefeated to win it. And then you also have Marcus Mariota, who isn't far behind either, Tarvin. I mean, I think Marcus Mariota has a shot to pull this thing right up there as well. But to me, um, it's a Manziel, a Winston with a Mariota, you know, sort of in the backseat. But he's it's only those three right now in the car for me. All right, well, let's bring on our guest, John Johnson. John, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Appreciate you having me tonight. Oh, thank you for coming. And uh, I'm sure it's a busy weekend for you. You got your poll out last night, actually. How many games did you get to watch yesterday? Well, I was working the office yesterday. I'm normally on a normal college football weekend. I'm at a game either Alabama, Auburn, or Troy. Those are the three teams we cover. But uh, this weekend I was on in the office for the first time this football season, so I did watch a bunch of games and kind of kept my eye on a lot of things while I was you know, working the desk as well. Uh, I was watching the very last game of the night with uh, Fresno State uh, being a voter and with them being in the poll. You can't send in anything, obviously, until all the games are complete. So I was watching that to about 1.30 in the morning. And, you know, at that point, wondering if I'm going to keep Fresno State in, if San Diego State beats them. Uh, obviously, I take Fresno State out of the rankings. Uh, but they held on and they won in overtime, so they, they stuck in there with me. Uh, but uh, that's kind of a typical Saturday night for me, whether I'm coming back uh, from a game and getting back in the wee hours of the morning or if I'm working the office. I always get my poll in and sent to the Associated Press before I go to bed because I don't want to, 
you know, take the chance of not waking up in the morning and, and getting it in. We have to have it in by 10 a.m. Central. Hey, John, can you give us your top five right now in the AP, your vote, and uh, and we'll we'll go from there. I just want to ask you a couple of questions about it. Sure. I feel real real confident about the top five. I've got uh, Alabama 1, followed by Oregon, Florida State, Ohio State, and Baylor. Um, and, and, you know, I could easily flip-flop Oregon and Florida State. Uh, I think those are very close right there. Um, Baylor's really coming on. Uh, Ohio State, you know, I'm not sold on them, but they've done everything they could or have they can do as far as winning ball games. Uh, but like I said, feel very solid on those five. And then from six on down, it's, it's kind of like you just put them in a bag and shake them up. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change every week with those. Well, Baylor, you know, look, looking at a Baylor team, what is it going to take, in your opinion, for Baylor to actually leapfrog some teams? I mean, this is a team that's putting up video game numbers, and the, the more time goes by, John, the more I'm buying into Baylor. I think they have a very good football team, and I like where you have them in your ranking. Yeah, it took me a while, too, uh, Brian, to buy into them. But you look at their scores every week, and, and they've got some a lot of talent on that team. Uh, maybe the competition they're not playing is as strong as some of these others, but the way they're winning is very impressive. I do think it's going to take a Ohio State or a Florida State uh, losing for them to jump uh, either one of those, or, of course, Oregon or Alabama if they lose. Uh, so I think Baylor's exactly where they should be right now at five, and if someone loses in front of them, then, you know, they move on up. But they've been very impressive lately. Okay, Trey? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time. Sure. Looking at the looking at the schedule, and, you know, with, you said that how much of the games do you actually go back and, and watch when you're – I mean, if you're, like, on the road watching games, is this something you try to do, or is it just too hard being your schedule? No, you can't really go back and watch games. What I usually do is, is, you know, obviously if we're driving back from Tuscaloosa or Auburn or wherever, uh, you're listening on the radio to all the roundups of what's going on throughout the night. While I'm at a game, I'm actually checking the websites to see the scores and kind of keeping up with what's going on the best I can. So when I do leave the stadium uh, on the way home, uh, I pretty much know what's all going on during the day, even though I haven't seen a lot of it. And then when I get back uh, to where I can get on my computer and really break down things, I do take time with it. It's not something I just do at the spur of the moment and just try to get it in as quick as I can. I look over it. I really study it. And I check and double-check and triple-check to make sure I'm not overlooking someone or leaving someone out because each week what I try to do is kind of look at it as a brand-new week. I don't just move up a team when someone loses in front of them. I kind of start fresh every week. Uh, Of course, I go by the guide that I had the week before, but I may have a team in here this week that I didn't even have in the week before. Uh, I dropped Oklahoma State out for several weeks, uh, just for example, because I just felt like the loss they had, they didn't deserve to be there at that time. But as the weeks have progressed, I pulled them back in and actually have them at number 18 right now. So I try to do it fresh every week, uh, try to take that approach, and, and I take a lot of time with it before I send it in because – Number one, I want to do it right. Uh, I'm very conscientious with it, but I also know that anybody can go onto the Associated Press's website and look at my vote. So I want to make sure I'm not leaving someone out or overlooking someone. And when you do start having losses and you start deleting them, let's say um, this week when Virginia Tech lost, 
when I kind of de delete them out of a slot, I want to make sure that, hey, I don't forget them that they may still need to be in the poll, but on further down. I actually dropped them all the way out this week. Uh, but, but that's the kind of thing you got to be really uh, you got to be careful of. Well, John, well, that's interesting you, about, you said that because, right. you know, a, a tenant or a two-loss Virginia Tech team, I agree with you. They're not good enough and worthy enough to be in the top 25. But uh person, Paul Ewing in the chat room, wanted uh, me to ask a question. Why do you have Missouri still in the top 10 after that loss? And, and well, when you I look don't. at Missouri's wins, okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I actually don't, Brian. I, I dropped Missouri all the way down to 15. Now, the AP, okay. and I don't have the AP rankings out in front of me. They may be number 10. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I looked at them earlier today when they released them. But, yeah, I, I agree that Missouri – is not a top ten team right now, um, and you know they made it all the way to number five last week, uh, basically because they were unbeaten and they beat a, a good team uh, in Florida. But other than beating Florida, they really did not have any impressive wins. Uh, you know, well Georgia, I will say Georgia and Florida impressive wins. Georgia certainly is as well. But other than that, they didn't. But they had made it and, and deservingly so all the way up to number five. But when they lost to South Carolina this week, I did drop Missouri all the way down to fifteen. All right, Trey, sorry about interrupting you. No, I'm sorry. Right. One of the things I was going to ask you about is, you know, looking at once you get, like, a Georgia who's four and three right now, and, and I know this isn't your necessarily ballot, but what can you tell me about when um, or how close Georgia is in your ballot to making back the polls, and what would they have to do to get back ranked? Well, Georgia, without a doubt, has probably the toughest schedule in the nation, at least early part of the schedule. I mean, it, you look at that, and it's just its unbelievable what they had to face. Uh, and, of course, they've just been, as you know, if you follow Georgia, just decimated by injuries. I would say they're going to have to win uh, their next three, which would be beating Florida. They're going to probably, I'm sure, beat Appalachian State. Uh, but, you know, if they beat Florida and Auburn, I think they'll probably make their way back into the poll. But I think they would have to win the next three in a row to do that. And then they have Kentucky after that, which they should beat, and uh, Georgia Tech. So there's a chance if, if, if Georgia gets on a little bit of a roll, they could they could finish very strong. And they're not out of the SEC East picture, which is unbelievable after what happened last night. you still got South Carolina now, which is probably in the best shape. Um, but all of a sudden, Florida and Georgia have a chance, too, because Missouri's got two really tough games to end the regular season at Ole Miss and at Texas A&M. So Missouri very well could lose one or two more games on down the stretch, and then all of a sudden, uh, depending on what Florida, South Carolina, and Georgia do, they're all, they all three have now still got a chance. Well, John, uh, Auburn is eighth in the AP poll, and you actually have them eighth on your poll. The coaches' poll has them 11th. Tell us why you think the the difference between the coaches' poll and the AP poll in this one. Well, I think probably one thing is that the coaches probably or whoever's doing it for the coaches don't take as much time to really look into things as the, as the voters do on the Associated Press poll. I think most of the voters on, on our poll are very dedicated to doing it right. I think the coaches, the ones who actually do it themselves, or if they get someone from the sports information department to do it for them, they're not real concerned with all this. I mean, uh, they may be on the poll and on the panel or whatever, and they've got to produce something. But they're, you know, they're coaching on Saturdays, and they're not paying as much attention to this stuff as certainly we are. And I think I'm sure they try to do a good job, but I don't think there any, there's any way they study it like we do or even care as much as we do as far as getting it right. Okay, great answer. 
And, John, looking at you said you talked about Oregon and Florida State. Obviously, I think many people look at Alabama as being sort of sort of entrenched at number one just because of who they are. But talk about when you look at Oregon and Florida State, and, and maybe I'm overlooking Alabama for you, but or at least for me, I look at flopping them two and three almost on a week-by-week basis depending on who they're playing. Is that something that you got, that you do as a voter is look at the competition they play in a week-by-week two teams at the very top this close? I think you do in how they beat them and how they win a game. I mean, Florida State all of a sudden is really looking good. And the way they just destroyed Clemson, I think that obviously opened up a lot of eyes to a lot of people. I mean, because I thought Clemson was a really good team. In fact, I thought Clemson would win that ball game. But uh, that, sh- that shows how good Florida State is and how far they've progressed. Oregon, you know, being out west, I don't get to see them as much as I, as I would like to. Uh, you know, I see the clips and that kind of thing. But I, what I have seen of them, and I have watched some of their games, uh, they're very impressive. Um, Alabama, you know, starting the year at number one, I think that's where they deserve to be. The first couple of weeks you looked at Alabama and thought, huh, you know, maybe they still should be at number one, but they're they're not looking real good. But they have progressed so well, too, in the last couple of weeks that they definitely look like a number one team right now. And uh, with Oregon and Florida State just behind, I think, uh, like I said, the, the top three especially, I think you could interchange those, and I don't think anyone would have a real problem with you. Um, but even Ohio State and Baylor got a ways to go to catch those guys. John, the Minnesota Gophers, 6-2, and two, and they're a Big Ten team, of course. What is it going to take in your mind to get them ranked in the top 25? Big win against Nebraska this week, but obviously that wasn't enough to get them in the top 25. Well, I tell you what, I'm one of the few, I guess, that have really had Nebraska in there for quite a while. I I really didn't understand why they had been dropped out. Um, You know, they had lost the one game, and I thought it played a pretty decent schedule. Uh, But, yeah, and I watched a lot of that last night. Uh, When Minnesota beat them, uh, that obviously dropped Nebraska out of my rankings. And I hadn't really paid a lot of attention. attention to Minnesota until last night. They're close. Arizona State is very close. I think they're in the rankings this week at 25. I didn't bring them in, but they were my next team. Had Fresno State lost last night, I would have bumped everyone up. I have Fresno State at 20. I would have bumped up the ones behind them and brought in Arizona State. And maybe Minnesota's the next one. I don't know. You kind of – I tell you what's – the easy part is the top, you know, five, and then even the top ten's not that hard. But when you get from 20 to 25, it really starts getting rough because when you have some yep. of those blues, you got to wonder who do you bring in. That's an excellent point. And, Brian, looking at the um, – and, and Tarvin, you and I were talking about this. I wanted to get your opinion as well about the Heisman voting right now. You're a Heisman voter as well. And you, we were talking about basically, you know, we talk about a three-team race. I look at a – me personally look at a three-person race right now with the Heisman, with Johnny Manziel and Jameis Winston, and then, of course, uh, you know, Mar- Marcus Mariota out in Oregon. Tell me how you look at the Heisman as well, because since you talked about the top three teams in the nation being so close. Sure. I, I still like Johnny Manziel right now because when you look back, you know, two weeks ago, everyone had Johnny Manziel at the top of the list. 
they lose to Auburn, and then all of a sudden everyone wants to kind of drop him down. Uh, he had an outstanding game against Auburn. And if you take Johnny Manziel away from that team, Texas A&M is nowhere near where you know the type of team they are. I don't think that's as much the same as with uh, Winston or Marietta. Uh, you know, Oregon's still going to be very good without him. Uh, Florida State's going to be very good without Winston. Obviously not as good without those guys. But you take Manziel away from Texas A&M, and that's a completely different team. Uh, he's putting up bigger numbers than he did last year. I think he's the best college football player right now. Now, as I say that, uh, it does matter if you win or lose. And, and Texas A&M has got some really tough uh, games at the end of the year. They play at LSU. They play at Columbia against Missouri their last two games. If Manziel uh, leads Texas A&M the rest of the way without a, a loss, to me he's the guy. And maybe even if he doesn't. But, uh, you know, you do kind of look at the records. Uh, but right now I think he's the best player in college football. And, um, you know, Winston and Mariotta's right there. I mean, without a doubt. And, in, you know, you really – and I've been doing the Heisman for quite a while now – it really does come down to the last couple of weeks of really looking at the numbers and seeing how they perform down the stretch uh, before you kind of pull the trigger there. And, John, you, who did you vote for last year in the Heisman? I think it was Johnny Manziel, correct? It, it was. I, I went for Manziel. And, you know, it's very rare. I don't you, – you, you might correct me here. I don't know if a freshman had ever won it, even though he was a redshirt freshman. And I thought that might would hurt him as far as with some voters, uh, you know, putting a freshman as the Heisman Trophy winner. But it didn't me. I felt like he was the best college football player last year. And the same thing with Winston this year, being a redshirt freshman. If I feel like at the end of the year he's the best player, you know, well, then he he will be it. And I think it is it's very interesting that, uh, you know, the three top candidates right now are a uh, redshirt freshman and then two sophomores uh, with the Oregon quarterback and, and with Manziel. Uh, that shows how good the young talent is across the country. And I'll, I'll throw this out here as well. You know, a guy who's really not getting much of attention and he really doesn't really have a chance, I don't guess. But uh, Mike Evans, the Texas A&M receiver, might be the best player in college football. Yeah. I mean, you know, he is he is unbelievable, a, a great talent. He, I will figure he will be a great pro player. Uh, but, you know, the quarterbacks kind of get the attention. But, man, he, he's an outstanding talent. Well, John, A.J. McCarron um, on Alabama undefeated. And, and looking at his resume for the past few years, where does he rank? on your list. I mean, this is a quarterback that I'm surprised is not getting more love because he's on a team that, that's number one and what he's done for the last three years for football. You're right, and I, dry, I jotted down, he was one of the names I jotted down before I came in here to talk to you because, you know, he doesn't probably get the attention he deserves as far as being a great athlete and all that kind of thing, but all he does is win. And, I mean, he, he he's just a tremendous leader. Uh, he doesn't have gaudy numbers, but he just he puts up steady numbers every week, and he's someone you do got to consider. And uh, you know, midway through the season, like we are a little past that, um, you know, he's not getting the attention of the other guys. But as Alabama, if they do continue to win and he continues to put up the numbers he has been putting up, you know, he may well, very well get in that mix. Okay, Trey, you got a final question for John? Yeah, let me just ask you this: You're looking at looking ahead towards. I guess, you know, the end of the season, you know, last year we kind of thought we would be in this situation, and here we are again thinking that, you know, what happens if, you know, more than one of these teams and, you know, three or four of these teams go undefeated, what what do we do? Um, what do you see, you know, looking at this as an AP, you know, voter and writer, um, I mean, is that a decision that you've made in the past where you've had to worry about, you know, at the end of the season have to pick between these undefeateds like this, or is this something that you guys just wait until sort of week by week to really worry about? 
Well, I think you just do it week by week uh, because, you know, where we are right now, we're what, October 27th, there's going to be a lot of things happening in the next couple of weeks. I mean, you know, it wouldn't shock me for LSU to beat Alabama, for example. Uh, Alabama will go in as a big favorite, but LSU's got the type of talent that could could beat Alabama, and then all of a sudden, you know, your topsy-turvy's there. Um, Florida State, um, you know, they play Miami this week, so one of those is going to have a loss. So a lot of things are going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Let's just look back to last week how much happened. And, and you talk about trying to figure out the top 25 after all those upsets in the SEC last week. Uh, that was the toughest time I think I've ever had doing one because you had all those top – I think half of the top ten teams lost, and you had to figure out where to juggle these people, where to bring them. And I really struggled with that. So – I think, uh, you know, it's just a week-by-week thing. And every week there's going to be some different things and and different teams fall. So, uh, you know, we'll just see what happens. But, uh, you know, you don't want to get too far ahead. There's really no need in it. Well, John, um, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, Could you give us uh, ways for our fans to to contact you and follow you, whether it's Twitter, Facebook? Sure, I'll give you my Twitter handle. It's uh, Eagle Sports Ed, as in Eagle Sports Editor. I'm with the Dothan Eagle newspaper. So it's just Eagle Sports and then ED for editor. Uh, so that's what I have on Twitter if anyone would be interested. All right, John. We appreciate you coming on. Great information, and hopefully we can have you back on before the season's over and, and get your next poll. So I'd be glad to at any, joining us. I'd be glad to at any time. Just let me know. All right. Thanks, John. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, Trey, great information there. It's always good to get inside the head of a pollster just to see what they're thinking. I did like the way he watches football games, and, and he starts over every week. It's not like somebody loses and he just starts pushing people up. I like that part of it. Yeah, and just, uh, you know, way in sports, just followed him. Thank you for joining us. What a, what a great conversation to get the inside information behind an AP voter, Heisman voter. Uh, what you really sort of get, Tarvin, is the sort of, you know, the, the toughness that comes with making these decisions. It's easy when you maybe aren't putting your ballot to paper and having everyone in the nation look at it, but you can tell it's, it's tough for him, and it should be, Tarvin. That's what I like to hear uh, from these, these these guys is the fact they put a lot of time and effort into it, and you really can't knock anybody for putting that much effort into something. Uh, you may disagree with them, you may not, but Tarvin, I really like his answers. Well, Trey, you know, I, I really love the fact that he dropped Virginia Tech out of the poll. That's a team that that's a team you and I both have been scratching our heads. But tell us, how many Alabama fans out there have hyped Virginia <laughs> Tech up ever since that game, Trey? Well, you and I were talking about this off the air. Was you know how much love we saw from the SEC, in particular one sort of area of the SEC, just loving on Virginia Tech and saying how underrated they were and how this team was coming together. Um, well, I never thought that, neither did you. We both looked at that team and said, yeah, they have a really great defense, but they're like kind of like Florida was. They had a really terrible offense, and yeah. they were even worse off than Florida is. I mean, Florida's got a lot of talent. Virginia Tech doesn't have talent on offense, and they have some really bad people at skill positions, including the quarterback. And so, I mean, you know, this is a team that was going to fall. They were a paper dragon. They deserved to lose. And losing to Duke, I mean, let's get them out of there. Let's stop talking about them ever being ranked. I mean, this team is, is bad, and they deserve to be out of the top 25. Well, Trey, Scott Leffler is Virginia Tech's offensive coordinator. He was Auburn's last year. And if you look at it, he, he said once he left Auburn, he said it wasn't his fault the offense stunk. It was the players. There wasn't a lot of talent. 
Well, you look at Gus Malzahn just comes in, and now you have an Auburn team that's 13th overall in the nation in offense, averaging 5'11 a game. Scott Leffler has has Virginia Tech's offense 110th in the country, Trey. So was it Auburn's talent, or was it Scott Leffler as the coach last year? Well, sometimes you just got to look in the mirror, Tarvin, and maybe he needs to do that because, I mean, he's got a quarterback who has played a lot of football um, and has looked really good in the past at times. But this year, he doesn't look um, like a guy even deserves to be on the football field. He's looked better at times, but you just saw his struggles come out. And I just think that maybe the Leffler's in his head. I don't know, but, I mean, that offense does look lost. Yeah, he he's ruined it, and what a terrible piss poor coach, uh, terrible person in my. I mean, just seeing his play calling yesterday made me. It had flashbacks. Trey It's probably like war people come back from war and they have panic attacks watching something. Well, memories came back when I watched him play. So thank God we have a coach that can run uh, the football and actually get some yardage. Man, I mean, I understand Auburn has a quarterback now, Trey, and last year maybe they didn't, but. I still think it's him as a coach. I think he's terrible. Do you think he lasts the year after this year? Do you think he comes back again as a coordinator for Virginia Tech, or do you think he gets fired? I mean, maybe. I mean, uh, anything's possible at Virginia Tech where they expect better. Um, so we'll have to see how much they um, how much they give him. Well, Trey, let's get through these college games and, and call it a night tonight. We have some great action this weekend. It wasn't as eventful as last weekend. I went 8-2 and two in, in college. A couple games stumped me. I think you did the same. Uh, let's start with number 10. We had Vanderbilt go on the road to Texas A&M, and trade Johnny Manziel was listed as hopeful, something we never <laughs> heard before. And he came yeah. out and he came out and just destroyed Vanderbilt. So give us your thoughts on this game, if any. Well, I mean, I, I'll give Paul credit. He asked me why this game was on the schedule. I thought it was going to be closer. Um, I thought Texas A&M would win easily, but I just thought it was going to be more competitive. But Manziel did what he does, and A&M did what they, they've they done in the past. They really took Vanderbilt to the woodshed, and, and it was a, a well-played game for, for Menzel. The defense for the Aggies still doesn't look that much improved, Tarvin. But they made it to 6-2, and, and and they'll face some good competition here in the coming months, but we'll have to see what they're made of. But really nothing else to say about this one, Tarvin. Well, I'll tell you this. Whoever Texas A&M plays in the bowl game, they're going to probably drill because their defense will have time to study an offense and be able to at least perform. That offense for Texas A&M is just, is just amazing, and it's getting better and better and better. So glad to see them win. It makes our win against them last week look better. Number nine game, I almost picked this, Trey. I really did. Nebraska at Minnesota. Minnesota took care of the Cornhuskers. Tell us what Bo Pelini is doing losing to Minnesota, Trey. Yeah, I think, you know, if you're talking about hot seat coaches, Bo Pelini has to be, uh, right now, if you're doing a week-by-week assessment, they're doing, they're the hottest. I think Bo Pelini's time in Nebraska is done. You know, my wife is a big Cornhusker fan, obviously. I have a lot of family who is, or, you know, live in Lincoln and around the area and are Cornhusker fans. And i got to tell you, talking to them, talking, I mean, they're just sick of his attitude. I mean, this is a, a program that, that deserves respect. I mean, they expect their coaches to be classy. I mean, you look at Tom Osborne, and you can't, you know, that's a classy coach. He, he, he coached that program to a certain level. And just both playing doesn't seem to have that attitude and that charisma about him for a program that deserves better. So I think Polini's gone, Tarvin. It's just a matter of when. And you saw Tommy Frazier come out again on Twitter 
saying, where do we go from here? I mean, Pelini is, is doing a bad job, and it makes me believe that he's lost the team for some reason, and it might just be because he's a terrible coach. But they had 328 yards of offense. Wow. Minnesota had 430. If you look at it, Nebraska had two turnovers, and Minnesota dominated the clock. That's really all you can say about this game. Congratulations, Gophers. A uh, big win over the Cornhuskers. I'm sure Joshua Shaw and Nathan Walters are – are ready to find a bridge somewhere. In the next game, the number eight game, Wake Forest went on the road to number seven, Miami at the time. And Trey, again, Miami, they're a, they're a pretender, and they're about to get shown up when they play Florida State. I mean, they barely survive a game. They were losing the entire game at home to Wake Forest, and they pull out, thanks to the officiating in this game, they pull out a win. The home cooking was, I remember seeing Paul put a post on Facebook, is, hey, try not to make it that obvious if you're going to cheat for them, but Paul's right. These referees did a terrible job of showing how how they were trying to make Miami win to to preserve the ACC undefeated matchup that's coming. Yeah, I mean, but you know, again, you know, why did I put this game on the schedule, Tarvin? I I thought I told you it was going to be close. I mean, this was a trap game for Miami. Um, they don't they don't have that great of a home field advantage. We saw that against Wake Forest. It wasn't loud. They didn't play all that great. I mean, they have a lot of talent on offense. And their quarterback is you know. Again, one of those guys that's on the draft board at some sort of level. Uh, but he played terrible. Uh, I think they really, to be honest, were prepping for Florida State, and that didn't put much time into this game. I think Al Golden was definitely looking past. Uh, I expect them to play much better next week, though, Tarvin. I really do. Oh, it's going to be a blowout. I'm sure it's going to be on your list. I can't wait to mark this easy win up uh, when it's on there. And the next game... Ohio State at home against Penn State. Trey, I have to pat myself on the back. I said Ohio State would win by at least four touchdowns in this game, and that was an understatement. Ohio State went out at home at night and took care of business. I've never seen Penn State beaten that bad before, Trey. No, I think it was like their third worst loss in the history of Penn State. It was, it was, it was something to uh, definitely Penn State needs to put on their schedule and needs to circle because, and they were taken behind the woodshed in a historic type of way. And so, you know, for Penn State, Tarvin, I didn't expect them to get this bad. I thought they would be competitive in Ohio State, um, but really never at all let sort of Penn State even breathe in this football game. So uh, good job on Ohio State. I mean, they made a statement. They needed to make one. They played so poorly in the past uh, couple of weeks. So um, they're not going to jump anybody above them, Tarvin, but they have to go out and play this way each week. Uh, to even to not get jumped by Baylor. Well, Trey, you was you was worried about Florida State having a letdown game after Clemson. They come home; they're a thirty-five point favorite in this game, and they're up thirty-five to nothing at the end of the first quarter. Uh, bad news is they let NC State, you know, score some points and make it closer than it was. Uh, thoughts on this game, real quick? Well, no, the game actually wasn't that close. I mean, you're right. I mean, the, the starters were at this game almost at halftime. I mean, this was. Not a game that Winston played a whole lot in in the second half. I mean, very, very few downs. They played basically a half, and all the all the, the B and, and C stringers got playing time in the second half against the starters for NC State for a while. So, yeah, they scored some touchdowns in garbage time. But this game was 35 to nothing, uh, really, about, I think, 10 minutes into the first quarter. It was, it was bad, Tarvin, and Florida State looked good doing it. Well done on the Knowles. Well, that's why I like, you know, and, and we thought Auburn wasn't on the list, Trey, but I look for teams. If you, if you want to impress me and show me you're real, show me what you do against a smaller opponent after a huge win. If you get let down a lot and you, you let teams hang around, then to me, 
you're not a top caliber team. But when I watched Florida State play this weekend, it just really um, just nailed the hammer for me, nailed it in to show me why I have Florida State as high as I do and why I believe into it. And just like Auburn, the way they went out and took care of business, that's a sign of a good team. And, Trey, you have a good Florida State team there that could possibly be playing for a national championship. And the number five game, Tennessee Volunteers, they're up and coming, Trey. We know this schedule is just murderous. Looking at it, Tennessee went on the road to Alabama. This game was never in question. Alabama jumped out early on them. The yardage was close in this game. But any thoughts on Alabama-Tennessee? Well, I was actually uh, watching with some friends, and you know, the Florida State game was on one channel and the Alabama game was on the other channel. And we were flipping back and forth, and it seemed like every time we flipped to a game, either Alabama or Florida State was scoring. Uh, and it, it didn't actually seem that way. It was that way. And I think I saw every touchdown. It was amazing. But every time I flipped back and forth, one of those two teams were scoring, which shows you how well Alabama came out prepped for this game. The, the Tennessee hate was in, in full effect. The coaching staff had them ready. And unfortunately for Tennessee, they met a buzzsaw in Alabama this week. Alabama seems to get better and better each week. They are playing like the number one team in the nation, and they showed it this week. So I think I think Alabama is a combination of playing teams at the right time. You know, after a huge emo two grueling, people forget Tennessee had a grueling game against Georgia that came down in overtime, a heartbreaking loss. They bounced back at home, an emotional win over a top ten South Carolina team, and I just think Alabama was there at home waiting on them. But one thing we did see is, is Worley hurt his thumb from the previous week. He finally went out. They put the true freshman, burn his red shirt. Tennessee's offense looked a little better with him. But where does Tennessee go from here? They're 4-4. Four and four. And, and, you know, after this stretch, after the Bama game, Tennessee fans thought that the schedule would ease up. But now you have Missouri on the road. Then you have Auburn, which is a top-10 team now. Where does Tennessee go? How do they end, end the season, Trey? I mean, Tennessee, I mean, I think by the end of this, they're probably going to have the number one schedule in the nation, and we talked about that preseason. I mean, then each week is going to be is an absolute war for them. They really haven't had a break in it, Carmen. And that's where you really are going to see coaching and resiliency. And I think this team, if they can stick together, and you know, even to make a bowl game, and that's going to be very tough for them. But then this team is going to be so good in a couple, and you know, even next year because of what the, the, the effort they put forth this year. I mean, this team is playing very good against some good teams. Uh, but they're going to be tested even more, Tarvin. Now that they're four and four, they just got—I mean—they've been blasted by the number one team and the number two team in the nation. I don't know how they avoided Florida State this year, but I mean, think about that, Tarvin. How often does a team have to go on the road against the number two team in the nation and the number one team in the nation in the same year? I mean, it's a pretty tough schedule, Tarvin. Yeah, and Florida, Florida was at full strength too when they played them up there in, in the swamp. I mean, this schedule brutal. I mean, you you just look at it, and it's getting harder and harder. No no easy wins. Maybe Kentucky, that, that should be a given. But, but final prediction for Tennessee, do they end up making a bowl game? They have to win two more games. And where do you see them at? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I still think that they have a shot at Tarvin, but it's it's really hard to see them get into a bowl. I, you know, I think they have a really good shot against Missouri. I'm not so sure Missouri has the makeup just yet. Uh, but, you know, that Auburn game looks really tough. I mean, so it's going to be really tough for them to get the bowl eligible, but I think they'll do it. Oh, well, I do too. I think Tennessee's going to do it. And people, Tennessee fans have to remember, it's next year. That's what they're working towards. We've already seen, you know, Tennessee fans I've talked to are very proud of where they are, and they can see 
the progression week in and week out. You're going to lose, and you're going to lose to Alabama and the organs of the world right now, but just keep fighting. The next game on the list, uh, Oklahoma at home took care of top 10 ranked Texas Tech. Yeah, they were in the top 10 trade and undefeated. Anything surprise you in this game? I, I think Oklahoma got a little too much love in the polls after this one. No, I mean, nothing surprised me. You and I thought that Oklahoma would take care of the Red Raiders. I mean, but I'll tell you, I am still enormously impressed with the Texas Tech head football coach. The way he called this game really had Stoops sort of scratching his head at times. And it, honestly, I mean, you know, you can you can hate Stoops, you, you can love him, but I mean, the guy generally, he knows what he's doing on the football field. And you know, to see a, a brand new coach uh, coach that well, Tarvin, I think Texas Tech is one of those teams to watch in the future. I mean, this this team seems to really rally around their head football coach. So we'll have to see what they do in the future. Yeah, and we'll see what Oklahoma can do. They still have to play Baylor, and I think that's going to be a bloodbath. I don't think Oklahoma's offense is made uh, to keep up with a team like Baylor right now. The next game on the list, the number three game, could have easily been the number one game, Trey. South Carolina down 17 to nothing against Missouri in the fourth quarter. Uh, Spurrier made a genius move putting Shaw in the game, but was it genius? I think he's kind of stupid for not having him in the game to start with if he's healthy enough to play, Trey. But South Carolina almost ended their season last night uh, by Connor Shaw being on the bench for three quarters, but they somehow pulled out yeah. a miraculous win. It was fourth and 15. Spurrier called the play, hit the touchdown. The rest is history. South Carolina with a huge win, and I'm still glad I picked them to win the East because I still think they're going to win the East this year. Yeah, I mean, South Carolina, I mean, their season was on the line, and they really – you could tell that uh, – that the players sort of understood that, and they they really rallied around that moment. So, good job on South Carolina in the fourth quarter, showing what they had. Spurrier really, you know, calling those plays, those critical, uh, you know, plays like that fourth down. Tarvin, I was very, um, you know, surprised that, that Missouri played as well as they did. I mean, so Missouri earned some credit in my book, even with a loss, Tarvin. But them being a top ten team, I just don't think they are anymore. Um, I thought they were skeptical in the first place being there, but uh, now they've lost her, and to me, they're not in the top ten. Well, think about it. I mean, they played Vanderbilt, uh, Arkansas State, and then they they beat Georgia with their whole team out. Then they turned around, and Florida had a lot of injuries and people out. Then they turned around the next weekend, Connor Shaw's out. So every week they played, they've had the benefit of playing a, a backup quarterback so I think it's over for them. They still have to play Texas A&M, Tennessee, Ole Miss. I mean, they're going to lose a couple more games. Missouri's going to be out of the top 20 before long. Just just hide and watch. Number two game, Stanford at Oregon State. I, I picked Oregon State just because just to pick an upset in this one. But looking at it, I don't think Oregon State's a top 25 team in the country, honestly. Stanford's not a, a top six team, in my opinion, either, Trey. They went on the road. They they won a game. But to me, they didn't look that impressive. Well, I, I think everything about that team was impressive except for one person. And you and I talked about this again off the air before the show. And that's Hogan, their quarterback. I mean, some of the reads he was making, some of the decisions he had. I mean, he was, I think, at one point like 6 of 20. I mean, his efficiency is way down. I mean, this guy does not seem – he's the weakness in this team. And I think if, if there's an argument, Tarvin, that, you, that you know, someone like you have, say they're overrated or that they're not the best one-loss team in the country, it's really because of him. I mean, he has struggled against decent teams and against, you know, complex 
uh, defenses. And, you know, Oregon State doesn't have that complex of a defense. And, yeah, they, they run an all right defense. But they even frustrated him and had him off his game, you know, well into the, in the second half. And so, Tarver, when I'm looking at this team and I look at them against Oregon, I think they match up great against Oregon. The problem is, is I don't see Hogan being any better than he was, you know, last year. I don't see any progression from him. And that's what worries me about Stanford this year because I see a lot of progression from Oregon this year, Tarvin. And looking at the stats, the reason Stanford won this game is because Oregon only ran, Oregon State only ran the ball for 17 yards. But going back to Hogan, he had 88 yards passing Trey. I mean, that's not going to cut it against against Oregon. You're not going to beat Oregon if Hogan's 8 for 18 and 88 yards. And they ran, only ran for 185. So just looking at this game, it's hard to see how they won. Special teams was a big factor. They were out, out gained on first downs 23 to 13. Time of possessions, Trey Stanford had it for 21-27. Oregon State, 38 minutes. So just looking at it, how did Stanford win this game? Well, I mean, I think they won the game because they play a very solid defense. I mean, Mangan came into this game for Oregon State, and people were saying that he was the guy that nobody was talking about for the Heisman except for people who were talking about him. Uh, and, and he didn't look very good in this game. That's because they have very, very good football. They have a really good front line. Their offensive line is, is good. Uh, they run the ball pretty well when they, when they dedicate themselves to it. And like I said, I think, I think if they had a good quarterback, Tarvin, if, if Hogan plays uh, a better football, then they really destroy Oregon State in this football game. But, um, well, Tarvin, I think we have a, a caller who wants to tell us a little better than maybe I am. You Well, before we do that, we have Coach Led on the line, actually. Coach, how are you, sir? Doing pretty good. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing good. It's Sunday night and uh, tough loss yesterday. Uh, tell us a little bit about the game. Uh, yeah, tough, tough game yesterday. Went uh, to Tuscaloosa. Very, very, very well coached football team. They played hard. Uh, exactly what we didn't want to happen. They jumped on us early, got the momentum going, got the crowd really growing, and uh, kind of dug us up a hole that we couldn't get out of. That's a very, very well talented, well coached team. And uh, we got a little work to do, but uh, we'll be back. Well, Coach, it looked like, you know, just looking at what I told Trey earlier, is you had an emotional, huge emotional game against Georgia. You came up short, a big emotional win against South Carolina. How much of yesterday, how much mental fatigue was there, you know, going into that game? I think we're, we're up for it mentally. Uh, we talked about it all week long, withstanding and sustaining the, uh, the crowd, we knew uh, Alabama was going to make plays. We knew they were going to come out uh, trying to get on us early because I think they were we were they were 135 to zero points in the first quarter of the last four weeks, something crazy like that. So we knew mentally we had to be ready for uh, for the adversity here early. And uh, I just think we got a little shell shock at the beginning of the game and didn't really quite overcome. Every time we made a play, they made two more kind of that kind of perfect storm deal. But for the, for the first huh. time, and I think two or three years, our guys actually winning, the game, winning that game believing we had a great chance of winning, which is a good thing because Tennessee hasn't had that in a while. So we're, we're uh, turning this program around. Trey? Coach, uh, 
obviously it's always tough when you have to go on the road against number one and number two in the country in the same year. But what can you tell us about your quarterback situation post this game? Uh, where do you? How is everything going there with with Worley and, and of course the freshman that you used in the against the game in Alabama? Well, we're still evaluating Worley, see where he's at. Uh, we expect him to practice this week. Uh, Dobbs, uh, freshman, came in and uh, played like we thought he would play. He's a very smart kid. Uh, been preparing all week, actually all season. He came in and did what he had to do. So we'll see what world is. We are 100% expecting to uh, be ready to go and practice on Tuesday. So other than that, there's nothing going on there yet. Well, Coach, you know, watching the game yesterday, like you said, the storm hit early, and the way you guys responded, the way I saw the coaches on the sideline coaching, I was very impressed, and you probably remember this. It was uh, on your touchdown drive. Uh, it was third down, and Coach Jones called that timeout, and he threw it underneath to get a first down at, like, the two-yard line, which was a great call, by the way. I think Coach Jones is letting these guys know that these drives are huge and very important. Even though you're losing the football game, you're still building what you're wanting to build, that foundation. But how important was that, that touchdown drive on that one going for next week, actually? That drive, that drive was huge. One for Dobbs to get uh, to put a drive together. Two to show that we 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 our offense if we do what we need to do in execute we can score at any time. And Coach, we've always said the scoreboard doesn't matter. Whatever the score is, we don't even look at the scoreboard. Each play has life of its own. Each drive has life of its own. So we play each snap, no matter what the score is, as hard as we can. We coach as hard as we can. No matter who's in the game, ones, twos, threes, fours, whatever it may be, we coach 100% to our fullest, no matter what, and that's what we do. And then that's that's the Tennessee standard, that's the Tennessee way. And we're gonna continue to play like that. But that that was a very very important drive for us to put some points on the board and uh, get a little momentum. And we're gonna build off this. Dallas uh, made a great throw. Uh, Crew made a great catch on that. And uh, we wanted we wanted to get in the end zone because Alabama's only giving up nine points a game, something crazy. So they they they're playing phenomenal right now. Yeah, they are. Trey, coach, I just you know, my last question. Looking towards next week, I mean, this is where we kind of thought preseason. Brian and I were we talking about your guys' schedule that it would make break up for you guys and make it a little easier after Alabama. Well, it, it certainly doesn't. You have a a top ten team on your schedule again, coach. Talk to us about the focus going into Missouri after uh, this week and get all that. We got to we got to get back focused right now. Like you said, they're a top ten team. We have to uh, figure out how to how to uh, get our road warriors going. We can't uh, find a way to win on the road right now. So that's one of our biggest things. And uh, this team has never played in Missouri. So we, it's a new atmosphere, new stadium, so we haven't been there. So that's another thing we have to uh, deal with. But the biggest thing is to get back to doing what we're doing well, fundamentals, executing, and make sure you get all our guys healthy. And uh, we haven't really dove into Missouri too much today, just a little bit. But they're well coached and they're very, very, very active up front on the defensive end. they got some big, ginormous receivers. I think all the receivers are 6'2 or taller. So they're a very well-coached team. They're coming off a tough loss, as are we. So they're going to be hungry. They're going to be very upset because their preparation season just got ruined. So they're going to be anxious. But, Coach, you know, looking at 
looking at this schedule, and I know at the end of the year, you know, win-losses matter in a way, but in a way, the experience you're getting, these players, every week against this team, how beneficial is that going to be going into your bowl game, all the practices, and actually into spring training? How important is it that you're playing all of these top-caliber teams and, and mostly on the road? It's great for the, for our young players to get this experience. I mean, putting it right in putting it right in the fire right away. Um, one thing about it, people don't realize when you go, when you go to a bowl game, you're allowed fifteen to twenty more practices. And Tennessee hasn't been. A... I think we did. We lose Coach Lett. Trey, are you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I was waiting to see if Coach responded, but. All right, coach. Go ahead. Sorry. Young, sorry about that. Our young, our young players—they're—they're they're getting better each week. To see, it's great to see them developing each and every week, and they're playing against top-level talent. Guys who are playing on who are going to play on Sunday—they're playing against now, and they're only 18, 19 years old. So we're building something really good here. Uh, unfortunately, got to take some lumps on, along the way, but uh, we're building it. We're uh, we're excited. For uh, our future, inside these young cats are getting better and better each week. Well, I'm gonna make an early prediction for you, Coach Auburn and Tennessee in the SEC championship game next year. Would that make you happy? That that will that will make us extremely happy. We uh, me too. Me we, uh, too. <laughs> we we had the recruits coming in and do it with the guys that we got building right now. I think we have a. We keep getting better and better. We'll see where the chips fall next year. But uh, Tennessee will be back real soon. Tennessee will be back real soon. And Coach, I want to thank I want to thank you for coming on and joining us tonight. And we look forward to hearing from you next week uh, regarding the Missouri game. And Coach, we believe that y'all are going to be back. I, I believe you're back. I can see the difference on the sideline, the attitude, and I've seen teams. They have to take their lumps, like you said, but what they're building is is priceless experience. But, Coach, thanks again for coming on, and we'll see you next week. Trey, great stuff by Coach Led as always. Yeah, and, you know, I know he can't talk about recruiting, Carvin, but, you know, you and I can. And uh, if you look at the recruiting class they're putting together, and, you know, obviously all those guys got to sign on the dotted line, but it is something to watch, man. I'm just telling you that there's recruits that they have coming in. There's more guys on the board. Yeah. It, you know, it's Alabama and Florida State right now, but if you look right past them, Tennessee is sort of um, – I mean, that class is pretty good, man. I'm just, I'm just saying they have a lot of talent that's coming in. You guys who can play as freshmen next year if they sign. So you may not be too far off of that prediction. Well, you have to you have to look at Coach Jones. I mean, he, he hasn't – he brought in the freshman yesterday that can run his offense. He's not running his offense yet. He's running – whatever to the strength of his team and, and their learning. So I really like what they're doing over there. And, and I'm not saying that just because Coach Lett's coming on the show. I'm telling you, I see the, the progress. And I know they lost to Alabama. Who hasn't? They lost to Oregon. Everybody else has too. But they beat South Carolina, a top-ten team. They almost beat Georgia. I mean, the, the games that, that are close or, or maybe they're 10-point underdogs and they're winning or are almost winning, you can't expect them to go on the road and beat Oregon and Alabama right now. It's just I don't see anybody doing that. So, Coach Lett, great call. Thanks for joining us. Look forward to seeing Tennessee in the years to come. And, Trey, that takes us to our number one game. And I think we have Jason Humphrey. I'm about to pull him up in just a second. But 
I'm sure Jason Humphrey was was very nervous last night when it was 14 to 14 and Oregon didn't have any kind of answers. I I was worried, Trey. I thought UCLA was going to hang around and could have pulled the upset if that game would have been close in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I'm interested to see what what an Oregon fan thinks, Tarvin. And I'm interested in what you think. If I, I watched the entire game, I watched, you know, I watched it until you know Oregon scored their last touchdown, and I saw them sort of break UCLA's back in the fourth quarter. But I got to tell you, Tarvin, uh, I looked at Oregon and I saw things that bothered me on the tape when I was watching it. I don't. I'd like to see what Jason thinks. And I'll bring him on in just a second. I have Cuervo. I'm about to bring him on, too. But, Jason, you've been waiting. Thanks for waiting patient with us. Uh, what do you think about the Ducks? Were you scared uh, at halftime yesterday? I was I was a little bit scared. But if you look at it with the blocked punt and the turn of it, you said it scored on the show fields. Outside of that, they didn't score at all. Um kind of threw my hat down when we missed that kick at the end of the second half. But outside of that, I think the defense played really good. Yeah. It did. It did, Jason. I'm very impressed with the way the way Oregon played defense. You're right. I mean, 14 points, UCLA. I mean, Trey, I'm impressed with the way Oregon's defense is playing. But is it good enough to win a national championship kind of defense? Well, well, we'll find out if we get there. But right now we're playing Stanford, and the one I don't know. Stanford's a team that's gonna give us fits in nine days. But like you said, Hogan cannot throw the ball against Oregon State, and I believe that we got the best second day in the nation. So with the corners that we have, but that's nine days away. So. So you, you say nine days away. Is that game on a – that game on a – Oregon Stanford, the Thursday night game? Yeah, November 7th. Yeah. Same day wow. as Baylor and Oklahoma. So. Well, you know, you know you know what Trey says about those Thursday night games for the visiting teams, Trey? That could spell doom for the Oregon Ducks. Oregon's 5-0 and on a weekday games winning by 35 points or more. That's what I said. I could, I could care less about all that stuff, Jason. That doesn't matter about right now. That's what I'm looking at. I don't care about yeah, the yeah, when when y'all played. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, right now, it, it sounds funny, but we may not need the Anthony Thomas. We, I, I think Marshall is a better back to go up against Stanford because of his um his um his and it's built than the Anthony. Yeah, I I think you need the Anthony if you're gonna play in a championship game and beat Alabama, I think you will need the Anthony. Well well yeah, but the Anthony Thomas doesn't need to be a running back. He needs to be a wide receiver and get him in space. And that's how the Anthony's gonna be affected Versus out of Bama, you know, if if you have Marshall and DeAnthony on the field, that's a whole lot better with one of them on the bench, you know. Yeah. Well, Jason, man, I appreciate you calling in, bud. Thanks for your analysis on the game. I think we have Cuervo's been on hold for a little while. Cuervo, what's going on, man? Well, 
What's up, guys? Uh, I caught the last, the tail end of your interview with uh, Coach Lett, so sounded good. How are you guys this evening? Oh, doing good, man, doing good. Ready to ready to get out of here tonight almost. Uh, I know you and Sonny didn't get to have a show tonight or this morning. Hope all's well with you. What did you think about Tennessee and Alabama? Uh, honestly, <laughs> I wasn't surprised. I mean, was I hoping they would be competitive? Of course, but uh, with the final with the final score, I think it was a forty-five ten. It, it doesn't surprise me that much. Um, I mean, they're just not there yet, guys. You know, they're not there yet. I mean, uh, I, I that's and that's why I posted in the chat room. Next year, we'll see how the team looks. Um, you know, Trey made a good point. It's, it's a very good recruiting class, but. Yeah, you can recruit ten five-star blue chippers. There's no guarantee that all ten of them are going to be uh, NFL prospects, though. So we'll, we'll we'll see how the team looks. Yeah, and, and also one one thing, and guys, if we don't talk about Tennessee, they are young in a way, but their entire offensive line tray is is all seniors. That has to be concerning because next year they're going to have to start over with all new offensive linemen, and we've seen from the past history that's very tough to do. Yeah, I mean, Alabama took them some time to get, you know, and they have five-star talent on their offensive line. It took them time to replace, um, you know, their offensive line. It'll, t- it'll be interesting to see how Tennessee replaces theirs because, I mean, right now that's going to be an interesting um, problem they have, they'll have next year going into the off season. Well, Cuervo, uh, anything surprise you in the NFL today before we get out of here? Um, surprising. Well, I, I wouldn't say surprising, but, I mean, boy, you want to talk about one of the greatest temper tantrums of all time. Did you all see that with Des Bryant? That was, was that, was that great or what? I mean, my God, that was, that was great. I, hey, Cuervo, Cuervo, thank God his mother wasn't on the sideline. She'd be dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Good point. I mean, he, he she probably would have gotten slapped, you know, on She's national television. But yeah, but um, I, I mean, the, the Miami. I think the Miami Dolphins are a better team than we, we give them credit for. I mean, New England is up and down. You know, they've been up and down all season. But I think I think the Dolphins are a team, guys. That within the next couple of years. Um, I really think they're going to be a legitimate contender in the AFC. Other than that, nothing really shocking, I guess you could say. The Saints are, are, are a good team. We all knew that. Kansas City continues to be good. So, I mean, there's really nothing surprising. Well, Cuervo, how long is Chip Kelly going to keep his job in Philadelphia? I mean, that offense ever since week one has gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, I would have to say probably next year. I say if if he doesn't turn around by next year, he's gone. And, yes, I did pick the Eagles to win the division. Hey, laugh all you want. (laughs) They're still in second place. Three and five, they're still in second place. And they're only one game behind Dallas. So, laugh all you want. But you never know what could happen in, in the second half of the season. Well, you also picked Kansas City to make the playoffs too, didn't you? Or to win the division. Absolutely. I did. I, I, I did pick Kansas City to make the playoffs. 
Well, guys, I have to before we get out of here tonight. I have to say something, and I don't know if y'all got to see the World Series or not. Where last night's obstruction call, and I'll start with Trey. Trey, did, what did you think about the obstruction call that, that benefited St. Louis? You agree or disagree with it? Well, I mean, I think it. I think I do agree. After watching, if you know the rule, rule seven oh six. I mean, it, it kind of <laughs> was textbook for the rule. Um, and I, I, it's unfortunate that it ends that way, Tarvin. But I think it's the right call. And just one of those weird calls that you don't think about. But it's unlike, you know, this isn't like the, the infield fly rule where they applied a rule that's completely subjective. This was kind of a, you know, I mean, if you're the Red Sox, are you angry? Yeah, I'm pissed off if I'm a Red Sox fan. But, you know, this is, uh, maybe this makes up for the tuck rule. I don't know. Cuervo, what do you think? You know, um, Guys, I, you'll have to refresh my memory. I, I saw something about it. It, it, was a, it. it was about a call that was made at, uh, what was it, like third base or something like that. Tell me exactly, because I, I wasn't really paying attention much to the game last night, I'll be honest. Well, hold on. I'm going to bring Paul Ewing on. I'm going to give him two or three seconds to, to get his phone ready. Paul, bringing you on, give us a, a breakdown in your opinion of what happened, because I see from the chat room you didn't really agree with the call. So go ahead. Can you hear me, guys? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Um, I was sitting with my father watching the game, and it, if, if you if you watch a lot of Major League Baseball, and I watch a lot, I watch almost every Braves game, the obstruction call is kind of similar to holding in college and pro football. You know, you, you, you could call it almost every time. For example, you have players sliding into second, trying to knock people over to prevent double plays. Obstruction is usually never called, and only and when it is, it's called when it was done on purpose. And there was no clear way that Jim Joyce could tell that this guy was doing this on purpose. He fell down going to catch the ball, and uh, don't give me that he kicked his legs up. I laugh more at Craig's sale on tripping than an obstruction call because that I've had lost it when I was like, "Are you kidding me?" And I'm just really big on. I don't like it when officials affect the outcome of a game so blatantly like that. It so, just so, it blew so tell my us mind. The, tell, us, tell us the play situation for everybody out there listening, Paul, that didn't see the game or the call. Explain to us what happened from start to finish. Okay. What happened was, <clears throat> is I can't remember who hit the ball, but it was hit to the second baseman. He was charging up. He threw home. They got the tag at home, and the catcher, well, I don't know why he did, but he attempted to throw Craig out at third. When he threw the ball, it was a bad throw. The third baseman, Middlebrooks, dove, tried to catch it, missed it, fell down. The ball went to left field. The left fielder picked it up, gunned it back home. They got the tag at home, but Jim Joyce had signaled obstruction, and he did it right away, which basically meant that all, all base runners get to advance one base. The ball becomes dead. Pretty much. So when Joy signaled the obstruction, the ball was dead even in left field, and Craig was going to score and win. You know, I mean, was he obstructed? Yes, but you got to. I want officials to be consistent. You know, the catcher should have never threw it to third anyways to begin with. He should have just held on to the ball <laughs> and gone to the next batter. But well, I, mean, I, have it's just like I have a question, Paul. I have a question, Paul. Did 
Did the obstruction at third, I mean, it was a close play at home, did that cause him to be out at home? Absolutely. If, if, okay. Well, I agree with the call. And I'm, I'm not, I agree with you, too, about the consistency of it and everything. But at the end of the day, whether it's obstruction doesn't have to be intentional, guys. That's what, that's what people don't realize. Obstruction is... But that's the way they call it during the season. Yeah, I think it's like stepping on the plate almost. You kind of ignore that, especially in a big game. You don't want to call. You don't look for outs and, and, and things as an umpire to, to make yourself noticed in a game. But... Isn't that the same umpire that made that call, the same one in game one that uh, missed the call at second, or was that something totally different? I, the guy who made it the call at third base was Jim Joyce. I don't know if that was the guy that made the call at second. Oh, he, he's the guy that he's the guy, the guy that blew the perfect game for, was it Colorado? That's for exactly Detroit? who it is. Exactly okay. who it is. So wow, this umpire. It. Yeah, this umpire is very popular. Well, well Paul, well, thanks for known. joining us, buddy. And, uh, and I appreciate it. Trey, you want to talk about penalty before we go real quick? Yeah, and I want to leave everybody with one thought to sort of discuss next week as well before I get that. But Mike Pouncey, the center for the Miami Dolphins, was served a federal or, excuse me, a grand jury subpoena uh, involving the Aaron Hernandez case. Uh, details don't tell us what's in the subpoena just yet, but this it does involve Aaron Hernandez. So, you know, this, this Aaron Hernandez thing probably is, is, is still out there. And, you know, here it is, another football player uh, being told that they have some information that, that they need in this investigation. So, you know, the penalties were very uh, sort of vocal in their support of Aaron Hernandez and his not guilty and being innocent. So uh, we'll have to see what information, if it's a subpoena that makes him bring something, like his phone for records, or if it's something where he may have some testimony uh, placing Aaron Hernandez in a certain place. So, uh, interesting development, Tyler. All right. Well, guys, Cuervo, I know you got in late, but thanks for joining us. Uh, everybody, John that called in, the AP and Heisman voter, loved hearing from him and Coach Lett. But we will be back on the air. Trey, you will not be with us Wednesday night, um, but we will be back on the air Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, so make sure you join us. Have a great week, guys. Um.